Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast number 120 of Strength for Today's Pastor. I am with my friend Jimmy Morales of Calvary Chapel Lone Mountain in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm here actually spending some time with him and his wife Kathy and their church fellowship, and it's been great so far. But what we're going to be talking about today is on the subject of transition, and the subject came up in a conversation that Jimmy and I had months ago, which uh, contained a lot of questions and a lot of back-and-forth discussion and dialogue about the subject of pastoral transition. So from that discussion, we decided together, hey, let's do a podcast about this. And so here we are several months later, and we're doing it here in his home uh, here in Las Vegas. So uh, it's going to be a good one because there's a lots, lots of questions. I'm sure that, Jimmy, your questions are questions that a lot of guys have. And um, so let's just see what the Holy Spirit does right now in our podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Bill, you're, uh, I think it's going to be a good podcast because I think it's going to be a little surprising. At least it was for me when we had our conversation. It was uh, not really what I expected. Uh, I'm in my mid-50s, and uh, I'm not thinking about retiring anytime soon. Uh, and so your answers kind of surprised me because I never thought that I should be thinking about those days even now. And, and so uh, let, me, let me start out by just asking you a question. What is a transition plan, and why do pastors need one? Well, great question. I mean, a transition plan is a plan to not only uh, leave the role that a pastor is in with his current church, but it also has to do with what his future connection is going to be with that former church, and also what is the process of bringing in someone to succeed him in the church that he pastored. So all of that requires prayer, requires planning, it requires the right people, and so there's a lot of, lot of moving parts to a pastoral transition plan, and the reason pastors need one is because Jesus Christ hasn't come and come back yet. And if, uh, if he does not come back in our lifetime, somebody else is going to pastor our churches that we're pastoring right now. So why not pastor in the light of somebody else pastoring our church? Why wait until the last minute? Why not be thinking forward on these things? And maybe we never do transition our church because Jesus comes back before we're done with a, a transition process. But maybe we do, and if we do, we will have pastored differently knowing that somebody else is going to come in behind us and pastor eventually. So that leads to my next question. Is there a certain time that a pastor should implement a transition plan, i.e., uh, how far ahead of retirement do I want to start thinking about that process? Well, there are two parts to the answer, Jimmy, as far as I know. And, and, you know, just backing up a little bit, I'm the director of employment ministries. We have 13 pastoral couples. A number of us have been involved in various pastoral transitions in, in churches over the years since 2008. And so I think we've probably been involved in 60 or 70 transitions. So we've seen a lot. We've learned a lot. That doesn't make us experts, but it does make us experienced. And so what we've seen has been helpful in, in enabling us to do a better job at pastoral transitions than we did when we first started doing uh, pastoral transitions. So the answer to the question is in two parts. Number one, every pastor should have what we call an emergency transition plan because we don't know what's going to happen. COVID has killed a number of pastors, right? They're in heaven now. Did they expect that they're going to be in heaven now? No. It was, was the church ready for a plan to be implemented? Probably not. Not unless they had an emergency plan. So have an emergency plan. That doesn't make a commitment happen or start uh, on any kind of specific process. It just means that if I croak, 
if I go to heaven, somebody there's a there's a, a way that the church board and existing leadership knows exactly what to do uh, in the light of my absence. So that's number one. The second part of the answer is, uh, I think that if a pastor pastors his church in the light of one day he's going to transition out of the church, then he's going to start raising up his own successor. And I think that's a really, really important thing. If he can do that, if he can be part of raising up his own successor, then what that's going to do is that's going to increase the likelihood that when the new guy comes into the position of senior or lead pastor, the church is going to accept him. It's, you know, we liken it to a heart transplant, you know, and pastors replacing another pastor. It's like replacing part of the heart of a church, right? So it's like a heart transplant. Uh, we want the new heart to be a good replacement for the old heart, <laughs> to put it that way. You know, we don't want there to be an organ rejection. We want there to be an organ reception. So the likelihood of there being an organ reception increases when the pastor has been and the church has been able to be part of raising up the pastor's successor. And so that's another uh, factor to the whole, whole thing. Now, suppose a guy's in his, uh, his early 70s, late 60s, and that's the time he decides to start the retirement process, okay? So he, he maybe has a successor in mind, okay? Still there's a process. So when's the, when's the transition going to be completed? When is the baton handed to the new guy? When is that date? And you, you aim at that date. You, you pick that date, and you create a process that goes backwards from that date to right now. So let's just say it's a three-year period of time. And in that three-year period of time, a bunch of stuff can happen that's really healthy for the church. Number one, the new guy can increase in his responsibilities and increase in his authority over the period of three years. The outgoing pastor can decrease in his authority and his responsibility over the course of three years, so that by the time the three years is over with, there's a natural uh, passing of the baton. Another thing that that does is that gives the new pastor face, name, and credibility uh, exposure to the church. When, you, when the announcement is made, oh, by the way, uh, Johnny is going to be the next pastor, they kind of go, well, of course. <laughs> you know, it's, it's apparent to them. You know, they watched it. They watched the man grow up in ministry in the church. They watched him improve. They watched him increase in his leadership capabilities and so on. And it's very evident to them. So there's a lot of pluses to a plan. And uh, so I would say uh, there's three parts to the answer. One is an emergency plan. Two is, you know, uh, start right now preparing your successor or a horde of young men that could one of which could be potentially your successor and then third uh, once you decide your retirement date then start a specific plan that and then you can work backward from the retirement date to the time that it is right now so let me jump ahead then uh, my next question I, I want to still ask it but I want to uh, that kind of leads me to uh, a question down my list here and uh, I, the question was, does, it, does the pastor have to have his replacement when he implements a transition plan? And, and I think my answer just changed based on what you just said. It just depends on what part of the, of the transition he's in. You know, so right. again, let's just use the example. I'm, I'm 70 years old and I feel like, okay, it's time. You know, I should be I should be handing this church off by the time I'm 73, or whatever arbitrary age you can put in there. Okay, it doesn't, that's up to the individual and up to the church. Okay, let's just say 70 and 73 are the years. Okay, so once that's done, he doesn't necessarily have to have a successor yet before he names his retirement date, but it's good if he does. But if he doesn't, then you, the church can work together with perhaps some outside help like we provide for, for, church, for pastors and churches uh, to really help them understand how to recognize the successor. What's it going to be like? You know, what's a good fit for this church? What's a good fit for this community? 
what's a good fit moving forward to help the church go beyond where it is now? You know, what does that guy look like? Not physically, but what does he look like in terms of his character, his gifting, his gift mix, his gift cluster, all those kinds of things. And and then uh, let's just go about trying to identify him. We've been able to help churches identify their succeeding pastor in a number of cases. In other cases, he's already in-house and ready to be raised up. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you say, okay, at 73, I'm retiring. I don't have anybody yet, but we're going to work real hard, trusting the Lord, looking to the Holy Spirit to point out who that next guy's going to be. Hopefully he's in the fellowship, but if he's not, we can locate him. So you're kind of making your personalized First Timothy 3 list for whoever that person is, looking for their not just character requirements, but looking for their giftings and strengths and personality traits that would make them a good fit. Yeah, because, you know, there are, uh, there are different uh, fits that are wise to, to follow those, those uh, kind of factors. You know, for example, you might have a young guy who grew up in a rural town, uh, maybe somewhere in Texas, and he's really gifted and he's doing great in his church of 200, you know, working as a youth pastor and then as an assisting pastor and whatever. Looks like an ideal candidate. But the church that's looking for him is in a very urban place with many, many thousands of people, maybe with a little bit of an inner city feel to it. Uh, That may not be the right fit, not because he couldn't do it, but because he just wouldn't feel comfortable living with his wife and family in an environment that is so different than what he was used to growing up in. Or or it could work out. You know, it just depends. I mean, you just really, you you put some of those natural factors together. You know, we had a guy in our fellowship in Monterey that that asked Pastor Chuck one time at a conference, Chuck, I'm feeling inclined to pastor a church. I want to start a church somewhere. I'm not quite sure what to do or where to go. And uh, so Chuck said, well, where would you like to live? What's your ideal community? And he said, well, I love the beach, and I love the Oregon coast, and I, man, I'd love, to, I'd love to be in a place like that. He said, well, why don't you just go there, move, get a job, and start a fellowship? I mean, simple. I mean, it was, it was his preference. It was what he had in his heart to do. And so that's sometimes a real good set of criteria to go, to go by. But, yeah, it's, there's, there's so many different factors that can help identify the next guy and if you know some of them, like, for example, the, the, the outgoing pastor in the church board says, you know, uh, our whole leadership team, they're in their 60s and older. So it's just a matter of time before they're not going to be able to function in leadership that much longer. So we need to do, get younger. We, you know, younger doesn't mean necessarily in the 20s, but it can certainly be in the 40s. We need to get younger somehow. So they decide it makes sense that we find somebody that's got some experience to handle a church leadership role like our churches requires. Uh, but then also it makes sense that he be somebody that um, got some experience and, and, and can step into the role and he's not under experience, but he doesn't have to be as old as we are either. You know? And yeah. some, some, right. sometimes that becomes the, the criterion and. So there's a lot of different factors to it. Hmm. So when the pastor puts together his transition plan, is that something he does with his church leadership, with his board? And and if so, how married is he to that plan? Well, the answer is yes. You You want to do this in a collegial manner as much as you can, you know, as a team, because the pastor is going to be gone and the leaders are still going to be there. You know, so I think the more you can work collaboratively, the better. Uh, how much is he married to the plan? Well, there's a point where the plan becomes, you know, the, the, the two tablets on Mount Sinai. Because, uh, you know, you can't vacillate. Like if you, if you tell a younger guy, okay, you're going to be the next guy, and it's going to happen in five years. And on April 1st, you know, 2027, you're going to be the new pastor. Uh, And then 
midstream, that date changes or it becomes a moving target. You know what's going to happen? That younger guy's going to say, enough of this. I can't trust this process. I'm out of here. And you lose unnecessarily a guy that would have been possibly a great fit. And it frustrates people. It frustrates existing leadership. You know, So I don't think that we can be capricious in the way we decide how it's going to go. But get enough information and do enough planning, have enough prayer, have enough confirmation in the spirit to know, yeah, this is the plan. This really makes sense. This is the right timing. Let's do it. And then once it's done, it's, uh, it's, it's like the two tablets of Moses. Yeah, that's, uh, I've seen a few Calvary transitions that uh, changed along the way and, and caused that frustration you're referring to. And mm-hmm. so that's why I was curious about that. that. That can really lead to frustration if it changes. But at the same time, there are times that, uh, that it has to change just because you put something in your plan. You go, you know, this won't work. And to, so it really uh, depends on why you change it, I guess, right? Well, it would. You know, like if there's a discovery of a moral problem in the candidate, you know, then, of mm. course, you can't move forward. But let's just assume that all things are equal and a decision's been made about a, a transition date and then it changes without good reason. Well, mm. you know, there is virtue in letting our yes be yes and our no be no. There is virtue in sticking with our commitments, even if it hurts. And there's that passage in the Psalms that talks about swearing to our own hurt and not changing. You know, in other words, we make a vow, and even though it hurts us to keep the vow and it's painful to do it, we'd rather make a different decision. Uh, sometimes it's, it's helpful to just stick with it anyway. Jesus commended that type of thing. Amen. So before I jump into kind of the nuts and bolts of a transition plan, let me ask a a question related to something I've heard you say several times recently, and and that is that issue of retirement. You know, you've referred to the fact that there is no uh, fixed point at which, you know, a, a pastor should retire. It depends on the individual and and on his calling and and his energy level or whatever uh what are the signs that a pastor should consider retirement when's it time to start thinking about transitioning out well i think if the and it's it like you said it's it varies per individual but i think the pastor himself needs to be convinced that it's time and his wife needs to be convinced. If, I, if, I, if a pastor tells me I'm thinking that it's time, but I'm not sure if it's time, then I would rather sit down and talk with him and with his wife because his wife probably has a better idea that it's time sometimes than he does. And, uh, or maybe she doesn't think it's time and he does. Maybe he's discouraged. So um, I, I think that it, 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 there's no fixed time, obviously, so that's why we're having this this conversation. But uh, w- one of the you mentioned, you know, energy, vitality, vision, that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the dangers of the pastor being the one that identifies when it's time is because sometimes a pastor can delude himself into thinking he's still being effective when he's not being as effective as he thinks he was being effective. And this is particularly true if there's cognitive decline, you know, i.e. dementia or some other kind of a, of, a, of a thing going on with the brain that just doesn't allow him to be as sharp as he used to be. And, and this affects his leadership, and it affects his own self-assessment. He doesn't really know how to assess himself because of the cognitive, cognitive decline. So while, the, while everything is healthy and while everybody has, you know, got their full capacities— that's when there should be a real culture of openness where the pastor is working with a team of leaders that can say, hey, you know, I think I'm thinking about this. Somebody needs to be involved in this process. It may not be his board. It may not be even the elders or pastors on his staff. In fact, I would say don't have it be the pastors on your staff. But somebody needs to be involved in speaking into that man's life and saying, okay, here are some of the things that you should consider if you think it might be time. Uh, A lot of times a a good situation would be to go to somebody who's outside of the fellowship that can be objective, that is safe, you know, to have that conversation with. If you have that conversation prematurely with people in your own fellowship, 
then they immediately go to worry mode. Uh-oh, he's leaving. Uh-oh, he's going. And it, it do, it's amazing. You know, I've seen it happen on a dime, it seems like, Jimmy. A pastor goes from pastor with authority from Jesus to lead the church to lame duck. And he doesn't wow. have any authority anymore. It's just what happened to it? Where'd it go? And then you got the yeah. uh, power brokers who want to make sure that there's a, a direction going forward. So they assert themselves into the situation, and it's a mess. So I'm not yeah. trying to scare anybody, but I'm just trying to say that uh, there needs to be uh, the safety that comes from a multitude of counsel to help the pastor with yeah. that decision. It's time. I thought it was. Yeah, I time think there's a lot of race. wisdom there. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of wisdom there in keeping it out of the hands of the board or the pastors, because then they start scrutinizing you in a different way and mm-hmm. becoming critical of you. And and uh, I can see where that would be really unhealthy. I think for me, uh, it would be my wife who would be the perfect one because she always tells me what I say wrong anyway. So <laughs> and so she'd be a perfect one to say, "You're slipping, honey. It's time to go." Well, our wives love us you know. enough to be honest with us, you know, and uh, yeah. and we can take it because they're our wives. They're one with us, right? So we need their input. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now let's talk nuts and bolts. What does a, a healthy transition plan look like? What are the elements of a, of a transition plan? Well, um, I'll just give a few of the main elements because there's a lot of detail. Uh, one main healthy element of a transition plan is the pastor having something to go to, the pastor who's leaving. It's much better for a congregation and for the pastor and his wife if he's got something he's got vision for for his future. He's, there's something he can go to. Uh, perhaps a different kind of, excuse me, a, a different kind of a ministry, perhaps a different role in another situation. Maybe he transitions into a Bible college role or uh, an overseas missionary role or whatever. It doesn't make any difference, but he's got something he's going to that fits his gift mix. That's helpful for the congregation because then they don't blame themselves for the loss of the pastor. They realize that he's leaving to something. He's not just leaving from something, so they're not blaming themselves. Another really important element is the congregation themselves. It is a big deal for a church to lose their pastor. And we tend to minimize that as pastors, and we, we tend to discount it. Oh, they'll get over it. You know, it's just what happens. Change is necessary. Change is normal. But it's a lot more than that. I mean, the pastor-congregant uh, relationship is as profound a relationship there is. In fact, I would say it's among the most profound relationships on a human level that exist outside of marriage. It's very profound and it's very deep. And people in the congregation, when they know that their pastor knows them, they, they know that they know their pastor. And they may not have had much of a personal relationship with them at all, but they know that the pastor cares. They know that there's somebody that loves them, somebody that has fed them faithfully for these years. And there's a, there's a rock that's in their life, and his name is Pastor So-and-So. And Pastor So-and-So has faithfully got up each week, probably more than once each week, and taught from the Word of God and been a man of prayer and sought to keep his own private life uh, sanctified and holy and so on and so forth. And he's done that for many years because he loves Jesus and he loves the flock. That rock is something that when it is moved and moves on to something else, even for good reasons, is really hard for people to deal with. And he will have probably buried some of the people that are family members, married children, married them, uh, dedicated children, uh, counseled through difficult situations, been in hospital visits, all these kinds of things that pastors do because they love the flock. And they remember these things. And now this person who's been this rock that has been these things for them isn't there anymore. So there's a grieving process that goes on. There's a loss that takes place. And it's important to pastor the church through the grieving process and the loss. And then there are the details, the details of transition, the who, why, one, wit, 
uh, and uh, when and, and what of the details, you know, like how, how is the outgoing pastor going to be compensated? Is there going to be a retirement package and those kinds of things? Those deals have to be details have to be worked out. What's going to be the compensation for the incoming pastor? What can the church afford? Will he have to be bivocational in, in the case of some churches? Or will the church be able to afford a full salary right from the beginning? These are all questions that have to be answered and so on and so forth. And then how many people are going to be involved in pr providing eyes and ears to this whole process? Uh, for me, when I'm involved in transition, I like to get as many eyes and ears involved as I can, with the caveat that they're not voting. This isn't a vote. The the job and the responsibility to name the the successing the succeeding pastor is the job of the board of directors led by the senior pastor. That they're the ones that are called by God to decide. But we do need input from everybody, as many as we can, about what they're seeing. So I like to get people involved in the process as much as possible and I think that's healthy and that helps ensure that somebody didn't just arbitrarily decide to put so-and-so into that role but where did how come we didn't have anything to say about it how come he how come this new guy was forced on us you know we don't even like him necessarily you know that kind of thing and, <laughs> and that happens unfortunately so the more buy-in you can get uh, and pastoring the existing people and utilizing the strength of the, the the church that's there, the better. So is there a black and white or at least a preferred way to say, okay, uh, I'm going to uh, transition out and uh, the process uh, looks like this on such and such a date, uh, I'm I'm out and he's in, you know, or... Uh, you know, and on such and such a date, he starts teaching on Sunday. And then on such and such a date, he, you know, he gets more authority over the staff or, you know, and then on such and such a date, we transition all the way. I mean, is there a preferred way to do that or? I think so. I mean, I think that all of this can be done on a board and leadership level, confidential within the board. Uh, the congregation doesn't need to know the nuts and bolts of the process. Uh, uh, it'll become evident. So f say, for example, in month one through six of a three-year transition, uh, the senior pastor teaches once out of every, or I'm mean, five times out of every six weeks. And the, new, and the new guy teaches once out of every six weeks. And then after six months, uh, the senior pastor teaches once out of every five weeks. I mean, five times, four times out of every five weeks, mm. and you know, right? And so, it becomes obvious. Hey, this guy's getting some pulpit time here, and we like it. And he's not just teaching his own text; that he and the senior pastor are teaching through the same book. You know, mm. that's helpful too. Uh, so that's that's a, a helpful part of the process. So you keep part of the process is confidential to the board. Part of it, you just do. And, you know, there's that phrase uh, that is, uh, it's called form follows function. And so you do it, and then you let people know what the form was after you've done it. And they can understand what you've done because you're now explaining to them what just happened. And, and so right. eventually, say in a three-year transition, right around six months out before the transition date, you say, it's probably obvious to everybody now, by now that, that George is going to be the new pastor. And, uh, and, and so uh, he is, and this is going to be when it's going to happen. And so there's going to be a little bit less of me in the next six months, and there's going to be more of George. And he's now going to be on the board uh, directing the meetings and so on and so forth and doing the bulk of the teaching until the handoff date. And by that time, it can be very apparent to everybody that this is the decision that should have been made. So I think there's a way to do it, but you know, it's not a sin to plan. It's a sin to plan in arrogance, as James tells mm. us. But it's not a sin to plan. We're trusting the Lord with all of our hearts. We're not leaning to our own understandings. We're acknowledging him in all our ways, and he's making our paths straight. That's the way it works. So it's, it's a beautiful thing that way, and, and the transition can go go well. It really can. Yeah, I've seen transitions where, uh, you know, I don't want to name any specifics, but where the pastor 
left, but then stayed in control of the board even after he left, and mm. and and those go very poorly, uh, and and is it's it's destructive. But there's uh, you've been kind of talking about the pastor sticking around. Uh, where does the idea of you know, a pastor getting out of the way and letting the new guy come in and take over versus a pastor sticking around as pastor emeritus, you know, or, you know, some type of other role where people look to him as the leader anyway, yeah. even though he's not officially in charge. You know, where is that line? Where do you where do you land on that? I think the pastor emeritus role is ideal, but it's really hard, especially within Calvary Chapels. Because Calvary Chapel pastors are are strong leaders, many of which are Type A's, and they're used to leading. They're they're in town and they're there, and that's what they do. And it, natural to them is breathing. And others have been used to deferring to them, and therefore the pastor emeritus title can only be had by somebody who's a very unique person who really can slide into a very subordinate, supportive role without having to have any authority at all. And I think that's the test. Does he have to have authority? If he has to have authority, he's not ready to leave. Hmm. He shouldn't be considering a transition plan because staying on the board of directors after you're gone as a senior pastor is a very bad decision. And I know I'm outing some decisions that have been made that way, that some of which some of them have been public, and it doesn't really bother me. They haven't gone out well. And you know, James three says that the wisdom which is from above looks a certain way, the wisdom which is from beneath looks a certain way, and it's pretty self-evident what was the wise choice and which wasn't the wise choice. And uh, right, you know, right. so yeah, the, the the pastor needs to get out of the way. So even in a situation where he's not going to be pastor emeritus or he's going to still live in the area perhaps and and maybe even by mutual agreement still attend the church eventually maybe uh he should get out of dodge for at least three months after he retires from the role and just make himself completely absent and that'll Mm. give him a chance to uh, kind of decompress and realize that there is life after the senior pastor role. I'm still a pastor teacher, even though I'm not in the role of senior pastor. And it takes a while. For a guy, when he leaves a church that he's been in and a long pastor, and he was the church planter especially, I would say it takes at least a year and probably more before that decompression process is finished where he can really get his his sea legs back and realize okay, this is who I am, or this is what I'm supposed to do, or this is what life looks like post Calvary Chapel such and such, or whatever the name of the church is. And uh, boy, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's just rare. My son didn't want me to be around on his staff, and he was smart not to want to have me be on his staff because too many of my, idea, my ideas would have been inserted into the mix. And I am completely convinced, Jimmy, that I was supposed to be in Monterey to plant that church and to start it, to lay its foundation, and to pastor that church for as long as I did. I'm also completely convinced that I am not the guy that was supposed to take it beyond my 27th year. (laughs) That was for somebody else. Somebody else could take it in the next direction that it was supposed to go while retaining the core values which is dependent upon the Holy Spirit, dependent upon the Word of God, teaching Scripture faithfully, as I did for a lot of years, by the grace of God. And uh, those are the things we stick, but the way it, it's implemented can change, you know, uh, from, from leader to leader. And I wasn't the guy to lead the church into reaching the next generation in, that was coming into the Monterey Peninsula. And I really believed it was supposed to be my son, and as it's turned out, it has been. Uh, my son, he's the guy. And it was good for my son that I wasn't the one that named him as the next pastor. Uh, There was Roger Scalise that came in behind me, and after two years, Nate was named the new pastor after Roger had been there for a couple years. So uh, that was good for Nate, that was good for everybody, but I could not have been the pastor emeritus. 
as much as I would have wanted to be, you know, because, you know, you love the community, you love the church, it wasn't the right decision. So Nate made a decision, which was one of the smartest decisions he made early in his ministry. He hired a guy who had been a senior pastor for about 15 years in his previous years in ministry, who was about my age, who was seasoned, who didn't want to be a senior pastor at all, ever again, and who was just content (laughs) to be a servant, to be a quiet, calming, steadying, counsel uh, kind of a voice. And that's who uh, uh, Nate hired, and it's been a golden relationship, golden relationship. And I'm proud of Nate for that decision, even though, you know, initially I was the one that wanted that role, but I couldn't have done it. It wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been able to do it. It kind of touches on uh, really what I think is probably my most difficult question, uh, because it's such a sensitive issue for us pastors. And we talked, we were talking earlier about how uh, there's such a high percentage of pastors that would have left the ministry a long time ago if they had another way to make a living. Yeah. And, and, and part of that transition, it may be that the pastor continues to draw a paycheck from his church and, and you know, stays on as pastor emeritus or missions pastor or or whatever other role he has. Uh, but like churches like my own, uh, we don't have any kind of retirement plan in place where uh, where I can turn around and say, okay, it's time to implement the four hundred one k plan. And uh, you know, so where where does that fit in? Uh, I, I guess you know what is what's a pastor supposed to do with the rest of his life when he leaves the church? And is that part of the transition plan? At what point does a pastor say, well, you know what, guys, you're going to have to give me time off as part of this transition plan to go find some other way to make a living or, you know, go back to school or whatever that is, you know, where does that fit? How does that work? Yeah. Well, it's it's an important question, and I think that the the pastor needs to think ahead, and and to to make some planning. First of all, when a pastor teacher is called as a pastor teacher, it doesn't necessarily mean he's called as a senior pastor. Most of the pastor teachers in the world are not senior pastors, but then he he got into that role and became the lead guy, and so on. That's great. After he's done with that role of senior pastor, he's still a pastor teacher. So if he's got a vision for the kingdom and he's got his eyes on Jesus and Jesus is still directing him as an under-shepherd, then he will get from Jesus a sense of redirection of calling. This is what you can do to advance the kingdom. And there are lots of ways that church pastors who retire from their church that they pastored for years can be a force in the kingdom. And that's something between that man and Jesus to work out. So get that vision of calling and then be smart about it. I mean, if you opted out of Social Security, Pastor, then you're, and, you're, and you don't have any savings and you didn't do any investing, then you're way behind the, the eight ball. But that doesn't mean that, that things are out of, uh, out of reach for you. I was in that same condition. I was in that same position. And uh, what did I have? I had I had a year's compensation that the church gave me as my retirement, which was great. It gave me a year. And in that year, I was able to get some things in order. But still, there was the question of investments and the question, the question of uh, what's going to happen with income beyond age 65 and so on and so forth. So, you know, we had to do some things like financial planning and we had to do some things like getting out of debt, and we had to do some things like uh, helping to uh, make sure that there's going to be some sort of other sources of income in the future. And then, you know, of course, we started Poyman Ministries, and so this is one of the things that we advise pastors to do. If you have a strong vision and a calling to do a specific thing in ministry, and, and you can either join up with an existing organization that's doing what you want to do, and be part of their 501c3, or you can start your own 501c3 under the heading of what it is you want to do. And under that, we've been working with Doug Eagle of Eagle Retirement Plans, 
and Doug Eagle has created a 403B9 plan, which is a version of the 403B plan, but it utilizes what is unique to pastors. We have the housing allowance. So that income will never have to become taxable if it's taken as housing allowance under that 403B9 plan in the 501c3 that he's part of. And churches can do that, and organizations can do that, uh, and they can create that plan. So you have things like real estate investments, if you can do that, rental income, if you can do that, uh, you know, uh, annuities, if those are the wise choice, uh, 403B9 plans, you know, all these different ways of diversifying your portfolio, create a portfolio. You know, it's possible. You know, utilize the counsel of somebody like a Dave Ramsey and, and Ramsey Solutions. I mean, it's sound counsel. And do the baby steps that Dave Ramsey talks about, and, and, and the Lord will bless it. Because Jesus promised us that if we, he promised his disciples, and it extends to us, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, all of our provision needs, will be added to us. So, you know, we've seen that happening but that doesn't mean we don't plan. I think it was Moody that said, uh, earn all you can, give all you can, and save all you can. And I think that's the right mm-hmm. balance. You know, Just do it all. Earn as much as you can and work hard until you can't work anymore. And you know, if you're working with a 501c3, generate some supporters. You're like a missionary now and, and serve as a missionary. Uh, and there's lots of ways to do that, and, and, and I think it's important to do it. But don't lose hope, and don't let fear be the thing that keeps you from doing the thing you know you should do, because fear didn't keep the pastor from launching a church in the beginning. Fear didn't keep a pastor from being bivocational and moving from this location to another location to a place they'd never been to start a church. Fear had nothing to do with that. Calling had everything to do with that, and confidence that Jesus was going to be part of it. So it's the same as in an older age. It's the same. We're going back 50, 60 years in some cases and repeating it. It's deja vu all over again. But the Lord is just as faithful now as he was then. So I'm sure a lot of these guys uh, that are listening to this podcast, especially the guys that have uh, quite a few more years left in ministry, would be really interested in maybe getting more information uh, about Doug Eagle's program, the 403B, and uh, and uh, and how to how to find out more about that, and and then uh, what other information, what other resources does Poyman have available uh, for pastors to help them put together a transition program like this? Well, you know, to uh, to sort of boast about our team. You know, the greatest resource that Poyman has are the men on our team. <laughs> and, you know, each of these men has pastored for an average of over 30 years as a senior pastor and then retired from that role. And we we collaborate with each other. We do a lot of inter-team uh, training, you know, just through our conversations with each other and our meetings together and our Zoom you know, meetings that we have. And we've just learned a lot. And and there are guys on our team that are just, I would call them experts in pastoral transition in a relational way with wisdom that is so supernatural, you know, it, it could not have come from just human thoughts. And, uh, you know, so I could name names, but we have a team of guys that are just very willing to help uh, because we want to see... We want to. See, we have a heart for all part of it. You know, we we want to. We want to see the outgoing pastor go to something that can be satisfying and still consistent with his calling. We want to see him amply provided for. So we'll help the church board work out a generous compensation plan for that outgoing pastor, and and they'll do. They they're able to do oftentimes more than they think for that outgoing mm-hmm. pastor. And, you know, that outgoing pastor didn't go into a retirement plan and didn't have the church fund it for all those years because he didn't want to have the church have to do that and reduce operating uh, funds available to do ministry. And so he did it selflessly. So, 
you know, all of these things are things that we know as a team. Church boards sometimes forget these things, but we're working as an advocate for the pastor, but we're also working as an advocate for the board because no church board and no outgoing pastor wants to bankrupt the church because of what they're going to be compensated moving forward. So there's an equitable way to do it. And there, and uh, whatever a church decides, as generous as it could possibly be, is never really a problem with, as far as I'm concerned because I know what it takes to be a senior pastor. And uh, so we, we just help help on all those levels and and these guys are really good at helping wow that's awesome but we're uh pushing about 45 minutes on this so uh any closing thoughts bill as we end this podcast well i think that uh i think that if transition isn't something that's on your mind it should be and take it to prayer make make transition as important to you right now, whether it's just uh, preparing your future uh, successor, because he's gonna, somebody else is gonna pass your church, make transition as important to you now as you finding your first church opportunity was to you then. Make it that important, because the Lord has a future for, for every, every one of you pastors. He's got something in mind for you. You're not done until he uh, removes your spirit from your body and says, you're coming home home with me. And, and you know, we, we talk about finishing well. And finishing well is like Paul the Apostle finished well. He said, from prison in Rome, near the end of his ministry, he said, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do... I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that I might apprehend that for which I was apprehended by Christ Jesus. He was still looking to see what Jesus had for him. And I think that's the (laughs) attitude we need to have. Lord, what do you have for me next? This is a great adventure. We have the most influence, potentially, that we've ever had at this stage of our lives in ministry. We have more wisdom that the Lord has deposited into us than we've ever had at this stage in our ministries. We have so much that the Lord can use in, in, in using us for the kingdom. And we've got a next generation of young men and upcoming pastors that are starving for relationship with men like us. And I think that's important for us to realize that there's something to do Let's finish well. Let's finish well by keeping our... Let's not be like Hezekiah, who when he was told that uh, all of the young men were going to be taken away captive and Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and and whatever, but that it wasn't going to happen as long as Hezekiah was still alive. Well, Hezekiah's answer was, well, at least there's going to be peace and truth in my days. And that was the only, only, one of only couple's blemishes on Hezekiah's record. Other than that, he was one of the greatest kings ever. But that was, a, that was short-sighted. At least there's going to be peace and truth in our days. And we could have the same attitude. At least Jesus is going to come back before I die. It seems like it. Seems like he will. But who knows? <laughs> You know, yeah. who knows? There's yeah, something absolutely. to look forward to. There is some. So I would say, stay healthy physically, stay healthy spiritually, stay healthy emotionally, stay stay healthy in your marriage. Keep your relational uh, relationships fresh and up to date, and and just be ready, just like you were when you first started out in ministry. Be ready to be used of the Lord because He has a plan to use you. Amen. Amen. Well, Bill, this was, um, I, I don't know anybody else, but this was gold for me. Uh, I, I really enjoyed hearing this, and I think this is very valuable. And I hope a lot of pastors feel the same way as I do. I'm, I'm sure they will. Uh, so it's your podcast. Let me have you close it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jimmy, I want to thank you for, for having the idea of, of, of all these questions and asking me the questions, you know, because um, your your humble and teachable spirit just in asking the questions is is a great encouragement to me and i want you to know that and it's a blessing to be here in in lone mountain with you here in las vegas this weekend and thanks for that opportunity as well 
Uh, but it's an honor to serve the Lord. It really is. And I'll just say one other thing in, in, on behalf of the other Poyman pastors that are on our team. Even though we have a lot of experience and we've seen a lot of things and done a lot of things, we don't rely on that. We're relying upon the fresh, present moment working of the Spirit in our hearts. So we go into a situation, yeah. we're going into it fresh with open eyes. We, we don't know anything. We're like children like Solomon was when he started his ministry. I'm like a little child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. And much less do I know how to govern this great people of yours. And, and, the, and the Bible says the, the speech that Solomon gave pleased the Lord. <laughs> he loved that attitude. Yeah. So we try to keep that attitude. You know, just we don't know anything, and, but the Lord knows everything. So we want what he has. And so... Be strengthened, Amen. Pastor. Be strengthened, uh, Jimmy, and and let's just keep this race going, uh, going hard until Jesus returns, and uh, and His mm-hmm. kingdom comes, and His will is completely being done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So Amen. you've been listening to Strength for Today's Pastor. We have a website, poymanministries.com. There are resources there, and. Uh, We'd just be happy to help you in any way you can. Reach out to us by email uh, from the website, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Pointman Ministries. You can find us at pointmanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve him, his pastors, and his church.